0: So, praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Luke chapter 21, and we're getting really close uh, to the end of this, and it's amazing, again, the Lord's timing that we run into. We're coming up on Resurrection Sunday, and we're really getting close to the end of our study here, and it's, it's just neat to see how the Lord works with that. But last week, we began a sermon, uh, which was the, third, the second part of uh, this sermon we've been going into. We only got partially through the second point. Um, and we looked at the characteristics, began to look at the, pers- uh, the characteristics of persecution in the end times. And where we left off was a couple of these, things, couple of these thoughts. Here's, here's thought number one. We don't want to think of our hard times as divine opportunities. We often see them as obstacles to the life of comfort that we are pursuing. Again, we run into negative times or even persecution uh, in some form or fashion, whether it's our job, with our family. Uh, we don't see this as an opportunity given to us by God to be a witness for him, to do something uh, for him in that moment. We see it as just kind of a, an, uh, something, an imposition in our life of comfort. I, I don't like this. I don't want this. I don't want to deal with this. And so we, we miss that opportunity. I also shared that according to Jesus, what may bring us temporal affl- affliction can be used to bring God, God glory. So when we think about the temporal things that we go through, and I reference 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where it says our light affliction is but for a moment. And it works for us far more exceeding weight of glory. And so we, we have these afflictions in this temporal world. And oftentimes we look at those, whether, whether it's persecution or whether it's a, a, a struggle in ourself or whether it's a struggle in a relationship or whether it's a struggle. for Whatever way we look at that and say, I just don't like the discomfort. I don't like the problem. I just want it to go away. And again, we learn in Scripture that sometimes those are the moments that God's giving to us. It's how, how does God give us these negative circumstances? How can be used for good? Because again, sometimes it's in those negative circumstances that we can, number one, learn and grow, but also be used of God specifically like that. And if you're in a hospital dealing with something, you know, in, in a medical situation, you're in that hospital... If you didn't have that medical situation, you wouldn't be in that hospital and possibly being a light to that nurse or that tech or that doctor or maybe another patient in the room next door. And so, again, God gives us sometimes opportunities we see as negative, but they're divine opportunities. I asked this question thinking about affliction, thinking about persecution, and this is the question that I asked. If being fully committed or being all in, 100% dedicated to Christ's cause... Through his church, which is, again, what the, this whole New Testament age is about, if it costs you more than you're currently giving to the Lord, would you stay? Would you stay? If, 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 if you say, you know what, if, if for me to stay committed to God 100%, if it meant me giving more to him of my time, of my commitment, if it, if it meant more, I, I don't know if I would stay or not. Again, it's a question I think we all have to ask, especially when we're looking at the end of the end times. You know, Jesus is teaching this group of people that we're studying, uh, in this, this, uh, this group of people that he's talking to, we're in our study. And he's teaching them with this expectation that they're going to continue following him, that they are, they are his people, his followers. And so, again, he's speaking to, to them like that. That's why he's going to continue to give them instructions on how to deal with the persecution they're about to face. And I don't know about you, but I would really like that if, if, if the Lord said, hey, you're, as you follow me and as it, get, it gets closer to the end of time, it's going to get a lot harder for you to follow me. Matter of fact, you're going to face all of these difficulties. You're going to face this persecution, and this is what it's going to be like, but this is what you need. I would want that. I, I would want to hear, this is what you need. This is what you need to keep in mind. This is the things that you need to, to continue doing or start doing in light of what you're about to face. And the truth is, he was speaking to them then, but he's still speaking to us today through his word. And it still applies. And I, as I've said many times before, I think it applies so much more as we're 2,000 years closer to the Lord's return than those guys were. And they're there right there, Jesus walking in about 33 or, or 30 AD. And here we are in 2018, 2, 000, almost 2,000 years removed from what Jesus was telling his followers that day. So I want to pray, we'll move on see the rest of this point and then see the third point in your notes. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you again for what we've already experienced, the music, the specials, Lord. We're so thankful for your love. We're so thankful that regardless of what we go through, how difficult this life may become, uh, that, that you're there. That you have given us a comforter. You've given us your, your Holy Spirit to help us through this time. And Lord, you've also placed us in your church. Uh, to strengthen each other and to encourage each other, to bear one another's burdens, to weep with each other when we're weeping, to rejoice when we're rejoicing. We're thankful for the family that you've placed us in, your family. And Lord, I pray that this morning as we continue to study your word and we continue to see this, uh, these, these warnings, these preparations for the end times, I pray we would take them to heart, that we wouldn't be uh, scared off by them, that we wouldn't be intimidated by them, but we would realize that you've given us everything that we need for life and godliness. You've, you've given us everything to be victorious because you are victorious, Lord. You've overcome, and so, again, we know that we can overcome the things that we face in this world, and whether it be persecution or affliction, uh, temporal struggles, Lord, we know that, again, you've given us everything we need uh, because you are uh, the victor. pray that you just bless now and the rest of this, that you'd use me as a vessel, that this message, again, would fall in every single one of our hearts and that we'd receive it the right way. And, of course, some, if, if there's someone here this morning, Lord, that isn't one of your children. They've they've never surrendered their life. If today they were to to go out into eternity, they were to die, they're not quite sure that they would spend eternity with you. I pray if someone is here and is like that, that they would make this day a day that they give their life to you, that they would trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that they would become born again and, and again ensure heaven is their eternal home. I'll just move now. We'll praise you again for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Luke 20, I say 21, yeah. Verse 14 is where we're going to pick up. It says, Settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. So if it hasn't already been good enough, Jesus warning them that they're going to have these negative things to come uh, in their life, he now tells them, and when this stuff is coming upon you, or when you're about to face this stuff, don't meditate on what you're going to say, how you're going to answer. Don't, don't try to figure out all the answers to everything you may face in this world. Don't do that. I'm going to give you the words. I'm going to give you the wisdom. I'm going to be the one that directs you when those times come. Again, that, that doesn't sound really exciting to, to me when, again... Uh, When when something bad is coming up, we all kind of want a heads up, right? We we talked about that before When we go into surgery, we want to know what are the what are the the possible side effects if this goes bad What does it look like for me on the other side? And and if it does go bad and that's what happens to me, how could I get over that? How can I get beyond that again? We want to be prepared for the and the bad things that comes and and jesus has done that pretty much so far but here he says Here's here's a little caveat Don't be trying to figure out all the answers because you're not necessarily going to know everything that's going to come against you. Why would Jesus say something like that? Why would he he say, you don't need to worry about what you're going to say. You're going to go through this miserable time, but I'm not going to tell you what to say right now. But don't stress about it. Why would Jesus say that? Because here's the thing he was wanting them to do regardless. Just trust me. Just trust me. Because if you try to do it yourself, and you try to figure it all out yourself, it's going to wreck your life. It's going to tear you up. You're going to be consumed by the persecution. You're going to be consumed by the affliction, and you won't last. But if you will walk by faith as the just walk by faith, then I'll take care of you. I'll give you the words. I'll give you the direction. I'll give you the wisdom. If you'll just yield your life to me, if you'll just be a vessel that I can use in the good times and the bad times, then I will direct your life. Again, I, w- I would say if persecution were to come to us today, we would need to take heed to this same exact counsel. With, I would add, the amazing benefit of the New Testament. Again, Jesus talking to these guys, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. He's given them all these th- this counsel, but further in, in in history, it would tell us that the Apostle Paul would be inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the majority of the New Testament, and he himself. An apostle would walk through great affliction and great adversity and great persecution and serve as a great example, as well as pretty much all the disciples becoming martyrs for the cause of Christ. We have the New Testament to to encourage us, to help us, not just Jesus' teachings, but which they are Jesus' teaching as well, in the history of the church, the early church. So when we, or if we were to go through persecution in our lifetime, we take heed to these sayings and we see the examples before us. In the time of the apostles, as I mentioned, persecution flared up greatly. Matter of fact, by the time we get to Acts, it flares up so great that they are dispersed. They're spread. They're scattered abroad, the Bible says. They go to all different areas to spread the gospel, but also in, in avoiding persecution. But that was the case for the church and has been the case even up till today. Persecution has had its ups. It's had its downs. It's had its, its, its calm times. And have been, it's been raging in different regions, in different ways. But what does it look like today? I mean, because if, if we're talking about how does this teaching apply to our life today, we get that Jesus teaching them, we get that persecution has been in the church's history, but what about us in 2018 in, in America, the United States, us? Why does it affect us and, and how should it affect us or should it affect us at all? Persecution today looks like this for the, the, the church, not necessarily in America, but for the church in 2018. It looks like beatings, physical torture, Confinement, isolation, rape, severe punishment, imprisonment, slavery, discrimination, both in education and in employment, and even death are just a few examples of persecution, types of persecution that Christians experience on a daily basis in 2018. According to the Pew Research Center, over 75% of the world's population, did you hear that? Over 75% of the world's population lives in areas with severe religious restrictions and in many of these countries it's christians that face this severe religious restriction 2018 again remember we were talking about just last week and we're still dealing with famines and pestilences we're dealing with people that are that are hungry in the world in third world countries when we in the united states of america are talking about drones delivering our packages We're talking about how fast our internet and how fast our phone can recognize our face to turn on. And there are people that are still wondering, am I going to eat today? It's crazy. There's two different worlds existing on the same globe. But Jesus said, this is the way it's going to be in the end times. Again, if we think we have so much education, so much technology, so many resources, you would think that we could just boom and all the problems of the world would go away. But again, it's just further evidence that what Jesus taught about the end times is true. They still exist, despite all the money and all the resources and all the technology and education. They're still pestilence. There's diseases and famines. Maybe less than there was at one point in time, but it still exists. 75% of the world's population lives with a religious restriction. We in, in, this, in this country are so blessed and have been so blessed. I don't know that anybody in this, in this room would, would know any different of what it looks like to be blessed with religious Freedom. He said, well, my job, it doesn't really feel like religious freedom. Where well, my family, it doesn't feel like religious freedom. I feel like I am restricted. And that kind of is, is where it gets a little more personal to us, right? Listen to this. According to the United States Department of State, Christians, in more than 60 countries, face persecution from their governments or surrounding neighbors simply because of their belief in Jesus Christ. Sixty percent, or I'm sorry, Christians in 60 countries. So how does that affect us? I mean, it's not in America. If they are believers in Jesus Christ, they are our brother and our sister, just like that person sitting next to you. If they were to walk in this room, they are, they are family. We're going to be with them for all of eternity, just like that person sitting across the aisle. It, it, it should burden our hearts. It should, it should, it should pull us to a place of, it of, was of, a, a praying a while ago, weeping with them that weep, bearing the burdens of one another. We have our, our brothers and sisters around the world that are really facing real persecutions. And here are the, the, the hardcore real facts on the screen. Today, Christians face this type of persecution every single month. This is, these are averages, but every single month, These are what Christians face today. 255 Christians are killed every month for their faith. 104 Christians are abducted. 180 Christian women are raped, sexually harassed, or forced into marriage. 66 churches are attacked. And 160 Christians are detained and imprisoned without a fair trial or without trial. Every month, on average, this is what our brothers and sisters are going through around the world. So we say it's just it, it, it doesn't touch our lives, so it doesn't seem so real. It, it doesn't feel like we're necessarily at the end of the end, we watch the news and we hear all the bad things and the, and the shootings and the earthquakes. We hear all that kind of stuff. But as far as our daily living, unless something catastrophic happens to us, it really doesn't feel so much like the end time except for on a screen, right? That, that's the truth. I mean, we, we watch it on the screen. We hear it on the news. And and that's the reality of of persecution, the end times. We see this, and and we think, yeah, the end times are here. Think about our brothers and sisters living through this stuff. It's real. It's happening. But I believe that you and I, in America, as Christians, battle for our faith in a different way. And Well, maybe not our faith. Maybe not necessarily our faith. See, in the downtimes of persecution in various countries throughout the church's history, peace has pervaded, It's prevailed. Peace has been the thing that has come about for Christians. And this peace provided a sense of security over the course of the Christian church's history. But that peace and that security often lead to complacency and apathy in the church. The desperate pursuit of Christ, the desperate pursuit of advancing the kingdom of God is rare in those areas and in those times, such as is the case for American church today. How many, how many American Christians are truly desperate for the Lord every day? They, they need Him to show up because we're walking with Him and, and, and the struggles that we're, we're going through, it, it's so difficult. I mean, how many American Christians are truly living their lives? That, how many of us are really living our lives like we're desperate for Christ? I need Him every hour. We sing the song, I need Thee every hour. But is that how we live our lives? Is mean, it just a song we sing, or is that a reality that we live? I need you, Lord. I need you. I need you to show up. I, I, I'm going to witness to my family. I'm going to witness to my coworker. I, I'm going I'm to talk to my neighbor. I'm going to share the, your love with, with this stranger. I, I'm going to do that. I need you to show up, God. I need your faith. I need your strength. Holy Spirit, I need you to fill me. I need to have the words. I, I'm desperate for you. How many of us live like that? Or how many of us get up every day and are just more concerned about the things that we have to deal with in this world? Like, I hope I feel good today. We've talked about this a little bit already. hope everything goes well at my job. I got plenty of money in the bank. I can pay the bills, gas in the car, food. Where am I going to eat today? We have all these thoughts about temporal things and we're not living lives desperate for Christ. I think the average American Christian is drunk on and addicted to comfort. And I think even willing to substitute human excuse for spiritual commitment. I don't know anybody else who lives like that. But just because we got an excuse doesn't, doesn't substitute for spiritual commitment. We think, well, I, I don't know anybody in, in my world that lives like that desperate, that like you're talking about. Maybe it's because we're all drunk on comfort. So the thought of persecution the thought of more sacrifice for the kingdom of god the thought of giving more i mean i already show up to church once a week i already show up to church three times a week i already give my money to the church the thought of doing more or even struggling in our commitment causes to squirm at best and i think dismiss at worst let me explain we think I have to give more, I have to serve more, I have to, have to, have to tell more. When I'm talking about giving, I'm talking about everything. I'm not talking about money. If you're a you guest, so. I'll hear that church talking about money. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about everything, giving in every way, our time, talent, and our treasure. When we ask to give more for God's kingdom, we, what do we have to always bounce it off of? What, just, let's just be real. Anytime we talk about giving more for God's kingdom, whether it be our time, talent, or treasure, what do we have to bounce it off of? earthly commitments. That's real, right? That's what we have to do. We have to check our our earthly schedule. We have to check our earthly commitments financially. We have to check all these things in the world before we think about giving more to God. How backwards is that? Again, we already went through the story about the widow and giving her two mites. She had nothing. She had no husband anymore. He was gone. She had no job. She She had no money. She only had two mites. But everything that she did, she, get, she gave it to the Lord. And Jesus rewarded her in an eternity and still rewards her today as an example for us. This woman gave more than all those rich people combined because she gave out of her sacrifice, out of, out of her poverty. And it's a good talk. It's a, it's, it's a good thought. You know, I mean, we, got, we could hear this this morning and, and, and it's, it's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, necessarily live my life like that i don't sacrifice like that i don't give like that i mean i'm one that does that i check my schedule i check my 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 finances i I do those things and and and, in my commitment to god if it's going to go deeper it's got to pass all those things but i mean let's be real brother kyle if if, if everybody leaves this place what, what are the chances that anybody changes anything and i think that's the problem that i mentioned a while ago the complacency and the apathy I just think that's the real diagnosis for the American church. We've experienced so much comfort and so much peace and so much living in this world and, and, and living for this world. We've experienced all of that, that we, as long as we can fit church and the things of God into our worldly schedule, then it's okay. But ask us to do more, ask us to give more, ask us to go deeper, ask us to serve more. I just don't think I have time, Brother Kyle. I just don't think I have the money. I just don't think I... And where has that got us? What, what kind of this lifestyle of, uh, of comfort and peace and, and turning into complacency and apathy in our faith? What has that got us? Here's what I believe it's got us. Bordering on persecution in our own nation. I mean, how close, just even a few years ago, we worried about certain things, certain laws being passed. And you know, what about well, hate crime? Is it, is it starting to pour over in, in, into churches and pastors? And, oh, so it's not going to affect us. What happened in Houston? A mayor subpoena and pastors for their sermon notes. What? It's on our doorstep persecution is on our doorstep it's 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 trying to pound down the the in in many ways has made it into the public education it's trying to pound down even knocking on the church doorsteps and 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 trying to impede into into these things and what are we as Christians changing what are we doing it feels like what happens to us as Christians as things change we just kind of back off and kind of the path of least resistance we kind of move into a more comfortable spot in our life instead of being more bold and giving more and serving and sacrificing and and doing more for the kingdom of god we just kind of move and and mold ourselves into a a more comfortable place that doesn't really affect me and my family i think we're okay i feel bad for them but we're okay and it's not that the persecution for these apostles would be fun or that it's even fun now. I'm not, it's not that at all. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying, hey, bring on the persecution. It's going to be great. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it would be enjoyable. But, but I will say this because it's proven true throughout all of the church's history. It's a fire that purges out the dross and it causes sincere faith. Unapologetic, sincere faith to rise to the surface and be seen. That's why revival often happens after persecution. Because those who are real, dig deep and keep, press, keep pressing. Those, those who are of sincere, unapologetic faith, whenever persecution comes, they stand, they commit, they press on. They're not living for comfort. They're not living for this world. They're living for the other world that's to come. Again, it provides unique divine opportunities in and through the struggle. Think about all the, the great examples in the Bible that, that we, we look to and that we teach about. Think about Noah. Well, what was he up against? Was it a cakewalk for him? No, he was persecuted mocked. It was just him and his family that makes it into the, the ark. Everybody else shut out and destroyed. It wasn't easy for him. What, what about Moses? What about David? The apostle Paul? All the people that God used and, is, and are great examples for us today. They weren't perfect men. They had sinned, they had struggles, but they were committed. They were all in. When when their backs were against the wall, they pressed on. I had a friend tell me recently, I cannot remember who it was, uh, maybe somebody in here, but I had a friend tell me recently that um, they had, I think, a pastor, a national pastor from, I think it was Africa, uh, visit the United States and... um, when he was about to go back home, he asked him, well, what do you think about, what do you think about um, things? You know, what do you think about the church and American stuff? And he said, they're weak. They're weak. They have it so easy. They don't have any struggles. That's what he said. They don't have any struggles. And I thought, man, that's so true. <laughs> I mean, we got, we got the same afflictions that, you've heard me say this recently, uh, the, the, our brothers and sisters that are being persecuted today in Pakistan and Iran and Iraq and all the countries that are facing this persecution, our brothers and sisters, they are being persecuted. But they also have, I woke up this morning with a sinus headache. They also have, I, I, I don't know what my job, I don't know what my finances are going to look like. I don't, is the car going to start? They, they also have all the temporal struggles and afflictions that we deal with, and in many regards, way worse than we deal with and persecution on top of that that's why he was saying the american christian church is weak jesus said it shall turn for you a testimony but it gets deeper and i'm going to try to hurry and it's, it's like trying to mentally prepare for this persecution to come by the government i could deal with that okay if laws are passed uh, we, just, we just rally together. We figure out what we're going to do, how we're going to contact our, 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 our representatives, how we're going to contact the, the, the Congress and, and, you know, the elections. We're, we're just going to change things. Like if persecution came legislatively, okay, that's something that I think that we could tackle. But look at verse 16. And you shall betray, be betrayed by both parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends. And some of you shall they cause to be put to death. Wow. Wow. Again, legislatively, we expect it. You know, the Roman government comes in, and, 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 and they push out. Of course, they destroy uh, Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. We talked about that already. And, and, and persecution comes from the government. It's come from the government. It came from kings uh, throughout the church's history, uh, nations, all, all that stuff. But this comes in a different way. Some of the deepest wounds the wounds that we face in this world come from those who are closest to us. Amen. That's why sometimes when you get in, a, in a, a discussion or an argument with your spouse, sometimes it hurts the most. It bothers you the most. Now, that person on the street that's just act, acting mean and ugly, you know, it'll bother you for a little bit, then just whatever. But those who are closest to us, it cuts the deepest, it seems. Can you imagine being so close to someone, your friend, your family member, uh, that, that person that you absolutely had confidence in and trust, trusted them with, only to find out they were getting information to imprison you and see you put to death. How deep would that hurt? That would hurt. That, that, that level of, of distrust, that that breaking of trust would, would, would devastate your life as a Christian. The, the person I thought, I thought, I thought you were on my side. I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm not trying to be a pessimist. I'm not trying to say, here we come to church this morning and, and, and say, man, I don't know, I'm gonna walk out of here feeling like you know I've been beat up. I, I'm not trying to do that. But at some point, we as Christians in 2018 have to really answer the question, what am I really living for? Who am I really living for? I, I, at some point, that's gotta be a real question that we ask ourselves when we move forward in our life. Who am I really living for? Am I really living for the Lord or am I more living for myself? Or am I more living for the world? Who am I really living for? Is it truly all for one? Is it really, truly Christ above all? Or is the real answer, my job takes precedence, my kids take precedence, my entertainment takes precedence, my schedule takes precedence, my personal comfort? You know, I believe I have to preach this, and I have to challenge us, me, myself included, with the Word of God, because I believe this. He is coming soon. I believe He's coming any time. I mean, soon, He's coming. And, and, and if we don't wake up, if we don't change the course of our life that's living for comfort, then I think that one day we'll stand before Him when He does return and have regrets. I wish I could redo it. Now, I don't think that will carry that with us in eternity, but I think that moment that we stand and give an account before the Lord will say, can I please go back and change this? I mean, I don't want to leave you. I want to worship you and fall down on your feet, but I wish I could go back. I mean, I see you now. I see the nail-scarred hands. I see the change. I see all these things. that I I, want to go back and do things differently. I want to go back and be more committed to you. I want to be focused on eternity. I see it now. I see you now. I see the rewards now. I want to go back and do it differently, Lord. And it's going to be too late. There will not be another chance. It's now that we have. That's why we have to be challenged like this. See, I want to stand before him unashamed too. I want you to stand before him unashamed, having given our all for Christ alone. Again, this type of complete abandoned lifestyle isn't popular in this world. But here's the sad part. It's not popular among churchgoers either. As our musicians make their way, Jesus would say this in verse 17, He should be hated of all men for my sake. Think about this. Think about this. Think about the modern church today. Does the world really hate us? I mean, I think in some some arenas it does. I I think there's a, a large portion of the world in some arenas that hates the church regardless. But here's what Jesus was saying. If you continue to follow me and my teachings, you're going to become completely different from the world. You'll be distinct. You'll be unique. And the world will want to persecute you. Your own family will turn against you. The world itself, the system of the world, will be at odds with with my kingdom. And, And they will hate you because they first hated me. That's your life if you choose to follow me. your life if you choose to follow me. Yes, as a a church, we're to love and and to be friendly with all people. We're to reach out and, and, and do those things, but we're also to be unashamedly following Jesus Christ with no compromise to our commitment to him. So it doesn't mean that we change to be like the world. It means that we show the love of Christ to the world. We live real, sincere lives. But maybe that's the breakdown. Maybe that's the breakdown. Maybe that's why the separation isn't very distinct. And please listen. Here's, Here's maybe the problem. Maybe there are just as many lost people at the same level of commitment to Christ and His church as professing Christians have. See, anybody can just show up at church. Anybody can even serve in a ministry. But does he consume your life? Are are you serving him with your whole being, with him as your thought and your drive, and again, that desperation? That's what I want for my life. It honestly is. I'm not saying I'm hitting that, that nail on the head either. That's what I want. I'm challenged by this. I'm challenged by the thought that there's no really persecution in in my life, in our life. And and, and, am I really pressing into the Lord with all the blessings and the comfort that I have as much as I possibly could? I don't think I could answer that question yes. Could you? And if you can't, like me, then something's got to change for us. We can't come into this morning's service and then then leave out of this service with nothing changed if something's going to change. We've got to determine it's got to start somewhere. In your notes, and I'll pray and close, the characteristics of the persecution. One, two, three, and four. Imprisonment, betrayal, death sentences, and hatred. That doesn't sound like an amazing package that you get when you sign up for something. Look, here's the deal. If you follow me, you're going to get imprisonment, betray- the possibility that you'll get imprisonment, betrayal, death sentences, and be hated in this world. It doesn't sound like a blast. But here's the amazing thing. This world is not our home. We, we have just but a few more years on this earth. That, that's it. There's only a couple more years. I mean, some of us, it may be today. I mean, today may be the, Lord, the day that the Lord takes me home to be with Him. It may be the day that He takes you home to be with Him. If you're a child of God, it it could be any time that we we leave this temporal world and, and step into eternity. If you're not a child of God, you've never surrendered your life to him. It would be a completely different eternal experience for you. You would leave this world. And according to scripture, immediately you would open your eyes in eternity. And you would be in torment. That's what the Bible says. You would be in torments for all of eternity. Now, a little bit of affliction and persecution now on a temporal temporal scale wouldn't seem like that big of a deal if you got all of eternity in paradise with the Lord. But to seek and to live after comfort right now, to spend an eternity in torment, just doesn't make a lot of sense. And so I want to encourage Christians, let's make sure that we are living for the, the, the next world, the next life to come. We're living on this earth and we're living in this life right now, but let's make sure that our focus, as Colossians 3 says, that we set our affection, our mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Let's really store up treasures in heaven like Jesus commanded us to do. Let's live like that. And if it costs us something, if it causes us to sacrifice something, if, if persecution comes against us, then we know that we have a home just on the other side but again if you're here and you've never trusted jesus as your lord and savior this would be the only heaven the only enjoyment that you would ever know for all of eternity unless you choose today to make jesus the lord and savior of your life and i want to invite you to do that we're going to open up the altar and there's going to be a couple men down here and they can show you in god's word how you can know heaven's going to be your eternal home i can't promise you another day nobody can but you have this moment right now to make that, that right with the Lord. Christians, let's, let's respond. Let, let's, let's not walk out of here the same way. If we're not desperate for the Lord and, and, and giving everything we could, then let's change that today. Whatever we need to change, let's change. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity in your word. Thank you for this message and the challenge again that you've given to me, that you've given to us as a church. Lord, we're thankful that you are so loving that uh, you would speak this to us through your word, and, and you would prepare us. You would help us. God, you would give us a, an indication of what would come to those who follow you at the end of time. Are we thankful for the promises beyond this world, for those of us who have placed our faith. Lord, I pray for those who haven't, that they would move this morning, they would come down and, and accept your invitation to salvation. That they'd understand how much you love them and how free of a gift it is. Lord, I pray you move down this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand for just a few minutes this morning.